Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about a first in-person meeting that I had. And it was very, very awkward and hilarious. Uh, great to be back. But it just, you know, navigating these types of meetings are uh, pretty important, you know, just kind of getting back to, to normal. So, you know, it's like, is everybody wearing a mask? Who's not wearing a mask? I think most everybody was vaccinated. But, you know, these are people I've never met before. So it's it was really a new thing. Like, so I walked in there, obviously, with the mask on. Somebody came in with their mask on, but then somebody had their mask half off because they were trying to talk to somebody. The owner of the company then had his mask half off. So then everybody put it down. Then the owner left. So then somebody walked in with their mask off. So everybody sat down. Somebody put their mask back on. You're trying to talk with your mask off. I mean, it's just like a, this is a com. It was a comedy show. I mean, it was just like, this is what a SNL skit should be on this thing. Cause it was just hilarious. And the, so then the CEO walks in, no mask, not anywhere. I think it's in his pocket. So then everybody takes their mask off. And then we go ahead and have the meeting. And then it was like the weird, awkward mass dance at the end. And then like shaking hands, fist pumping. I mean, it was just like classic. <laughs> I mean, every single decision was like weird. Cause yep. you know, you, we don't know the, I don't know any of these people. So mm-hmm. I'd never met any one of them in my life. It was a, you know, an initial like sales meeting <laughs> and they wanted to meet us in person. So they requested it. And, um, What's the so size the of went, this company? Is it a big company? It's like 400 employees. Um, they're in manufacturing, so they've been their business has just gone crazy. I think they're going to open a new plant. So it uh, it went well, and then one of the things that you know gets gets missed in these Zoom meetings is I sat with the team for 20 minutes after you know, like the CEO and I were just sitting there with another one of his workers and we just had like the most re- like normal honest conversation you know and i think those are really where a lot of the deals are done sometimes are in those after meetings where you know they're trying to figure you out so yeah it's good to be back in the meetings but man was that ever awkward i mean it was just like <laughs> i don't know pretty entertaining So I just started at a, a new company and um, what's interesting is they have a culture where they have meetings after the meetings virtually. So mm. people will call each other right after the meeting and have the hallway conversation that nobody else is privy to. Or um, there's a Teams chat. So then there's this there's a uh, a message str- thread that begins that nobody else is privy to, but definitely people are having their side conversations. And I I suspect that since I've been there for, you know, all of 10 days and I've already received some of them that for people who work there, it's pretty much constant. Oh, it's guaranteed after every meeting, I'm sure. Anything of significance, there's there's going to be chit chat on the interwebs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Big I mean, this, time. 
this COVID dance um, uh, is is going to be around for a while. It's going to be awkward for you because you're going to be coming in fresh, not knowing the organization's policies. Um, in my healthcare industry job, it's going to be extraordinarily clear. Uh, I guarantee they're going to come out with policies and protocols that say, you know, um, in meeting rooms with this many square feet and this many participants, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're going to be to that degree, just because you have to, yep. you can't go into a hospital protocols, and have it be not understood what your public safety, you know, what your, your infectious disease policies are. If you're going to have it figured out in one Avenue, you better make sure it's going to be the health system. So, um, I don't anticipate a lot of that uncertainty, no but it will be fascinating to see what the policy ends up being because, um, I don't know when we're going to do the return to work. Uh, obviously, California is, you know, the most COVID gonna be sensitive last. place in the world. And Wisconsin yep. is 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 pretty much kind of like Florida. It's not to Florida level, but it's oh yeah, it's it's in that direction. Close, which I personally love. Midwest Florida. I, it, Wisconsin is the yeah, Florida of the Midwest. And it is. I don't Midwest I don't Florida. Know. It's like Minnesota's the New York, Wisconsin is the Florida. <laughs> uh Denver, or excuse me, uh North Dakota is Alaska. South Dakota <laughs> Nebraska's Nebraska. Um South Dakota's probably Yeah, it's like, hard like uh I don't know. Those places are like they're one and the same. It's hard to compare them to like uh another city or another state i don't know enough about like ohio or pennsylvania or any of those places yeah i've spent a little bit of time in ohio it's odd that they consider that the mid i think it is the midwest it technically is Ohio's part of the Midwest. i've heard I i've heard it both ways i've heard some people say it's definitely in the midwest and then other people say it's not i think if you I were to know, ask i think being from the Midwest, we 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 have the we have the ability to do to say if they're in the Midwest or not. We are squarely in the middle of the Midwest. If anybody has jurisdiction over what is or is not Midwest, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I believe if you were to ask we're, a third grader, we're in the middle. Yeah, a third grader would tell you that on the map, Ohio is considered part of the Midwest, uh, and I do believe that, like Columbus okay. and Colum Columbus and um. You know, Cincinnati, they have that kind of uh, Midwestern manufacturing vibe that it's pretty prevalent. Um, so I, I, yeah. I understand it. And then you got corn in Illinois and corn in Indiana and in Iowa and in Nebraska and in, and in Missouri, frankly. I mean, it's just a whole lot of nothing, really. It's. There's, there's just not much going on. Let's get real. <laughs> yeah. I, We're I podcasting. I mean, it's like, it's great. It's a good lifestyle, to be honest. It's um, the Midwestern lifestyle. I think we take pride in some of that. Like we get our work done. You know, it's kind of flyover country. And there's a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You know, if you've got that, at least I feel it sometimes. Um, yeah, a lot of that has to do with when you're talking about that. work. 
when we're talking about work, I get get that feeling. Yeah, I think, I mean, um, obviously there's a lot of business on the coast, you know, um, in the large majority, but I, and I do feel that sort of chip on the shoulder mentality. Um, Texas has it too, but they just don't care. And, you know, they have the whole we're, we're, we're Texans thing going on. So um, Midwest, I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, Midwest is like people from the Midwest are like quietly really happy that they are from the Midwest and love it. And um, we will also tell you, in my experience, that I, I will tell people, just don't go there. Just, we don't really want you to come here. Just leave us. Just leave us alone. Hang out. Go go to the coasts. Go go down south. Go to California. Keep go to your Florida. beaches. Yeah. I don't, I don't want you coming here and drinking our clean water and going to our good schools and raising our property to values. <laughs> I want to live. You know what I mean? Like, so whenever people, whenever I know people, I'm always, I'm always on that train of like, I just, you, you don't need to come to the Midwest for any reason. It's just, just keep your distance, please. <laughs> it's, it's great here. It's great here. You know, you can, you can fly over it. It's fine. That's not a problem. Yeah. And I, I think having pride and like where you live is important, you know, and I think not like some of the Midwest people kind of, I get a little frustrated when I feel that there there's like not a lot of pride in the Midwest of like people who are like, Oh, it, it kind of sucks here. Like they'll say that. And it's just like, this is where you live. This is, <laughs> it's a big decision. Yeah. Um, that, is something that I noticed extremely prevalently when I was studying abroad, actually. Um, I was 20 years old, and there was this gentleman, his name was David, and he um, was from New York. Actually, I believe he went to Northwestern Law School, um, and he was a a graduate student, and he was an army ranger. And, um, you know, there's I don't know, six Americans, 10 Americans in the program, something like that. Um, Not even actually, there may have been, it might have only, uh, yeah, I think there was about six in this whole international cohort, which may have, you know, a hundred students from all over the world. And David was a big USA fan. And um, I was 20 years old in my sort of, you know, um, shall we call it liberal, uh, you know, like collegiate years eating my granola. Um, and I was just learning about like the United States foreign policy and what not wearing any in... shoes. Yeah. Not a lot of shoes, a lot of open toed, a lot of open toed footwear. We'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I was not, um, a big support. I was not a big advocate. You know, people would always be like, Oh, what do you think about the U S and I just had sort of a sour taste in my mouth at this point, because I had just taken a course called, um, uh, central American revolutions and learned about a lot of the United States foreign policy. We had kind of just gone into Iraq and Afghanistan and were really kind of screwing up the middle East. And, um, I didn't have a whole lot of great things to say about it. And I was kind of, um, not, and not super thrilled with my collegiate life overall. Um, so I didn't have that same pride that yeah. David had. And David was like USA all the way. I mean, and the 
one day mm-hmm. some French dude just asked me, he was like, why is it that David likes the United States so much and you don't? Um, and I didn't have a very good answer for him. That's funny. But I think what it was is more of a representation of uh, where I was at in my life as opposed to like my actual opinion on the United States. I think it was more of a representation of me not having pride in who I was and where I was from, which is what you're talking about right now. And I think that um, for individuals to not have that pride, it's a total, it's a choice. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, if you yep. don't have that pride, you're not having that um, – you're choosing not to decide to get on the side of the the good things. You're choosing to get on the side of like not being very thrilled about whatever it is you're talking – you know, you're representing or re- represents you. Yep, and I think we've talked about that where it's like you choose in every moment what you're – attitude's going to be. You choose your mindset, you choose your attitude, you choose everything. And having kind of ownership in the agency to believe that you actually have that choice, it took me a while to get there. You know, that's not something that I just bounced out of high school and was like, oh, this is great. I think college was difficult for for everyone. I mean, college is a tough time. Uh, it took me, I mean, it took me probably till my later 30s or later 20s early thirties to really get grounded with myself and that ability to say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of happy with what decisions I'm making. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am as a person. It just took so long for me to get there. And it was a very bumpy road and I'm still going, I mean, you still have all these thoughts that go through your head, but man, it's, it is a choice. And I think that's like one of those realizations that hits you at some point. Um, you know, some people it's earlier than later. Some people have it right away. It's just ingrained in them. Their parents to really, you know, really figured out how to instill that. But yeah, it's complicated. So yeah, the pride in where you live is probably just like you said, it's a, it's a reflection. And it's a, it's a good, um, calling card it's a good sign if you know somebody asks you where you're from or whatever and you're not very thrilled about it might be a time to make a change yep yeah we talked about that in the last episode is like decision making and making changes and i think one of the things i came away with after thinking about it was uh like are you running away from something or are you running towards something so like are you when you're making a decision let's just say it's to move you're noticing you're not like proud of where you're living. You want to, you want to move somewhere. You know, are you running towards that decision of like, this is what I want to do with my life or you're running away. Like I want to please other people or, you know, all these other reasons we have, but just noticing where that energy comes from, I think is important. Uh, and as a young male, there's a lot of those, there's a lot of those decisions you have to make. Big time. And I think that gets to, um, a foundational component of being a man today, which is a society that rewards compliance. So, so much of our upbringing has been in service of compliance. I mean, do your homework. If you look at the education, and I'm not the first person to say that the education system 
as of today is not very well suited for young men as far as, you know, the completion of tasks on a deadline, you know, rewarding organization, rewarding um, some of the things that young men do not do well. Uh, there's a lot of punishment for it. And um, compliance. Yep. Yeah. Compliance is like the name of the game in education. Uh, and if you can comply, you're going to succeed. And if you cannot, you're not going to. Um, and there are, I mean, if you look at like the kids in the alternative learning program, look at the number of boys versus girls. It was almost all boys. There were so many more boys who were in those alternative learning programs than there were girls. And it's kind of like, okay, so is there a problem with the boys more frequently? And it's and it makes you think about like, you know, it's it's not like boys are worse at school, you know, or just dumber. You know, it's it's just a product of the system being designed in a way that doesn't really reward uh, some of the more um, young male characteristics that you may have. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, but I think it's good to bring up, like you said, now again, is I think the nature of a more masculine being is not really compliance. I mean, there when you're going out and hunting, you have to like kind of forge your own path to figure out where the food is. And it's not going to be like in the same spot as it was yesterday, because that that deer knows that you're going to show up there again. So it's like none of the people, you know, it's just like, I think that mentality of compliance um, for males, that's just not really in the true DNA for some, for, for people. And so that's where I think it's complicated. And, and when you look at like the true reward, so like, let's just say monetarily, we can look at that for a second. People that make the most money, don't follow along in reality. I mean, look at the richest person in the world, Elon Musk. He built a spaceship. I mean, and he built an electric car. That was not in compliance. There's a lot, that's a lot of new things, but that's not how we, you know, and that's not how you're raised when you're younger is you will get rewarded by thinking differently. You'll get rewarded by trying new things, by tinkering, by doing all this stuff that, you know, some, some people, it doesn't have to be like just boys. It can be women too, but it's like that, that does get rewarded in life as well. Uh, so I think that's something that I, I think reconsidering and in, in raising two little boys, that's how do you deliver that message appropriately is going to be complicated. And I've been thinking about that. You know, how do you instill into a young child, you know, <laughs> like, like school is going to be complicated. I mean, it's just like that is going to be hard to navigate. I think it is. And, um, I, I go back to that idea about, are you running away or running towards because of the, uh, I think that a lot of men and, you know, again, every time I say men, it could also mean women. And I just speak from a male's perspective. So I say, I say that, uh, but I think a lot of young men who may struggle and be in that, you know, not pride category, right. You know, if you've been told 
you're fundamentally supposed to just adhere. You're supposed to be compliant. I think it becomes more challenging to make those decisions that are the spontaneous ones, that are the running towards, that are the ones that fill up your cup. Um, and I think it's just been a, mm-hmm. a long line of, you know, of um, sort of engineering, behavioral engineering that has, or molding, you could call it, that has occurred over the last, you know, 20, 30 years of just what it means to grow up in society today. Yeah, in society, usually, I mean, this quote, I think, is really timely, is, you know, what's best for society is not good for the individual in a lot of cases, you know, so it's like, that's, you're, you're gonna, there's always going to be like a miss, a bit misbalance in the equation. And so each individual, I think you're going to have to navigate on your own and make those decisions. And, you know, like decision-making, how you make decisions as a, you know, when you're growing up, that's, you got to make those for yourself and understand what's good for you. And I think that's, we kind of really, we are getting on this topic of making decisions because it's, it's all individual and what is good for you is probably might, it's not going to be good for me in a lot of cases. So we can't tell you how to make the decision exactly what to do. You can't follow the formula and it means you're going to be successful because, you know, we all have our, you know, our strengths, our weaknesses, what we like to do, what we don't like to do. And there's no like track for success. <laughs> I think we're figuring that out. <laughs> we're proving that out. And I love that idea of um, how nature does not reward compliance. If you go and, you know, you throw your line in the water in the same spot every day and pull a fish out all the time, over time, I would imagine, you know, the fish will learn that if they go to that spot, they're going to die. They're going to be pulled out and they'll never be seen again. And disappear. Yeah. So, um, um, but also, you know, the importance of like, I think, you know, non-compliance is one thing, um, being creative, but also I think there's, you know, obviously something to be said about determination and, you know, it's not the, uh, final blow that breaks through the, the rock. It's all of the blows that led up to that final blow. So, um, I also want to just call out that kind of, uh, need for relentlessness and I think routine. And I think that's why so many people focus on it in like, you know, your standard motivational, um, you know, Gary V type of content, which is, you know, work 20 hours a day, sleep for four, and then don't cry about it and just do it, you know, which I think is one approach. Like, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that need that kind of kick in the ass. Um, and, um, how, you know, there's got to be a conversation in there about fulfillment at some point too, uh, because the fabric of your, of your Mm -hmm. existence is how your life is, you know, the quality of the moment that you're in right now is the determining factor of what your life is in its entirety. And in that one single moment, which I think connects to kind of that pride of, um, where you live thing, which is like, if you're not thrilled about the situation in the moment, that's, or where you're from, that's probably a pretty good representation of like, you know, 
things that have occurred in your life that might be opportunities for improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, like you said, there's, there's so much to navigate. And I think you and I have done our fair share of navigation and made lots of, lots of mistakes. And so that's, I think what we're, we're trying to do is understand and talk through, I think, what, you know, how do you navigate appropriately? What are the tools that we have used? We haven't used what works, what doesn't work. Cause it's, you know, there's just, there's not that voice that I think we've heard around this kind of navigating life as a male. And I think it's, it's important to, to, to the both of us. I mean, we have a unique perspective. We've been raised in a family of three boys and the boy train keeps continuing. So I think that's important to both of us is just navigating. Cause it's, 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 um, something to learn from for sure. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that, um, because of our environment, there's actually an involuntary sterilization going on. Um, and if you haven't listened to the Joe Rogan podcast or read the book Countdown by Shana Stevens, I think it is, um, she talks about how plastics and environmental pesticides, uh, or excuse me, you know, environmental pollutants largely due from industrial farming, have started to decrease men's sperm to the point of um in the 1950s the male sperm count i believe was in the 90 million and today uh it's about 45 million or in the 40s so um there's actually been an overall decrease in sperm production and um a decrease in testosterone and she has these really fascinating methods of measuring like um what is you know impeded male development so uh, i just think it's really fascinating that we're coming to this idea at at not only when we are identifying some of these social things that are impacting young men's development but there's also environmental things that are that are working on our biology that are really materially changing what yep. it means to be a male today mhm what are and so some of the things that came out of that podcast for me was just it really dep- it really matters what you eat and what type of you know like plastic is a really big indicator and you know what is the the runoff from some of these uh industrial farming uh you know contaminants that are used uh, those have a big impact on your testosterone levels so i mean i think the, the podcast like three hours long. I, I haven't made it through the whole thing, but it is definitely worth jumping in and jumping out of. Um, I think one of the big things I took away from was the plastic water bottles or bottles that you're using, any type of plastic. It, I think the slogan she said was, what was it? Four, five, one, and two. All the rest are bad for you. So yep. the, the number on the inside of the plastic water bottle, that was just a good takeaway from me was check the water bottles because <laughs> it's kind of yep. scary when you think of the testosterone levels decreasing i mean that's a huge component of male energy of i mean it's just like a it's a big thing and she was talking about it and when when um the mother is you know going through 
late, like before in pregnancy, you know, when you're breastfeeding, all those things are factors. Uh, so that's, you know, man, just another thing to think about, but I think, you know, the, the, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on. So as males, it's like, how, you know, how do you kind of continue to, to identify that and move forward? Well, and I think that is, um, a, I mean, you know, you look at, um, this whole movement around, um, you know, and I agree, toxic masculinity is not a good thing. Um, obviously sexual assault is not a good thing. Uh, abusing power for, you know, sexual gain or, you know, promiscuity is, is obviously not a good thing. That's, I would, that's toxic masculinity. That's not core, like, being a man and resting in your power as a protector in a, in a convening or a, you know, an aware force in the world. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, the difference between, you know, kind of core femininity and masculinity. But, um, so, uh, I, I think that, you know, we've got these environmental factors that are also impacting how we define, um, masculinity today and um, how it's evolving, because obviously, you know, you look at the media and, you know, the just the overall kind of um, melding of the genders. When you look at the environmental like reflection of that, it's so fascinating because you're like, I don't know what what calls it. We're back to nature versus nurture. And I think it's rather um, bold to say that everything is always like a decision. Uh, I think that's a, I think the lack of environmental mm-hmm. understanding of how like a lot of this stuff could be kind of connected to our biology and decreased overall testosterone levels. I mean that, or decreased sperm count. These are things that, um, you know, I think is great to at least be aware the of development. Because, I mean, it goes right to development. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to be aware it goes of right to that. development. Totally. Yeah. It, it's important to be aware of on a societal level too, because, um, yes, I think a lot of, you know, expression of who you are is certainly a choice. Absolutely. Um, and I think there's a lot that we have yet to understand about how biology is, uh, is a playing component, you know, is, is a person in the game with a significant amount of influence, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yep. That's that's the simplest way of saying kind of the game, I think. Uh, yeah, it's. Go ahead. I'm just gonna say it's when you're when you're navigating. It's never the simple solution. I just think we simplify too much of the problems with culture today as it's this or it's this. You know, it's it's more complicated, and I think what I've learned in my short life is there you, you always can dig deeper to find more information. And like the best, it's like being a very good physician who asks you, instead of asking you 10 questions, they ask you 20, you know, it's just like going a little deeper to diagnose what the problem is, allows you to be aware of more of what's going on. And you know, taking ownership and accountability over the things you can, but also being aware of the other environmental factors that that you have to navigate helps helps move the dial differently. Um, and we're not saying, oh, it's it's just 
it's just the plastic that's causing us males to be like this. I mean, it's just those types of statements uh, that are so simple and exact and over the side. I just don't work in real life. And I, you know, I think that's something you and I have always tried to do is not live in the simplified version of life and kind of navigate through the kind of the middle and what, what, um, you know, that's not really, it's like, instead of reading a news article, read a book, you know, it's just going to more detail, figure out what you can do to, you know, it's like, it's just such a nuanced part of, part of, uh, being. Yeah. And, um, we live in an increasingly partisan society where, um, what is rewarded is the soundbite, you know, the, uh, the the clickbait the um the in the 250 the, characters yeah the in-group the out-group thinking uh i mean it's just becoming increasingly difficult to have um thoughtful discussion today uh and it's kind of funny because if you look at something in a black and white sense which um you know our news media a lot of things today have put life and issues in black and white. And for some reason, I think, well, I mean, I believe the reason people do it is because it rewards the emotional, uh, you know, kind of um, oxytocin burst that people get when they react to something. So then the news companies build addiction that way. And um, black and white thinking is something that occurs and it's a characteristic of people with that are experiencing bipolar disorder it's and we live in an increasingly bipolar society i mean just over polar we talk about the polarization of society and it's kind of funny that um people who express who exhibit those characteristics in their mind are diagnosed by mental health professionals as being bipolar. And, but as a society, we can't come to mm -hmm. terms with the fact that we are becoming increasingly bipolar uh, in our just general approach towards information sharing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that I've come to realize, and I think, you know, like the conversation that the media is having isn't, the real conversation in life. And I think to go on and check the news to see like, oh, what are people talking about? When you talk to normal people, like you go and just have a conversation with other people, there's not a lot of media that I discuss. You know, it's like, oh, what's the, the current event of the day? It's not like, I haven't talked to anybody about Biden's first hundred days. I mean, it's like, that's just not my conversation with other people. So I think sometimes we think we go out in search of what are other people talking about and we go to the media and we go, you know, on Facebook. But then when you talk to somebody, you know, like your neighbor or you meet somebody in the grocery store or you're with your friends, you know, maybe there's a little of that talk, but that is not the dominating conversation. I mean, it's more like, how are things going? You know, it's just more about the the kids and the job and more it's it's just like so i think sometimes we give too much credit to that media conversation like oh this is what everybody's thinking about and maybe they're thinking about it i don't know but nobody talks about it completely um and then coupled with the fact that there's so much um shall we say uh just like 
shoddy journalism today. I mean, um, (laughs) in terms of just not researching appropriately and trying to be the first to break the story and the impact that uh, the downstream impacts of spinning the story a particular way, I think are just um, out of control today. And it's very, uh, I think it's very reminiscent of like the Tammany Hall kind of thing that was occurring in the 1920s during like the industrial revolution. So uh, I think the digital revolution has brought on a new wave of manipulation that is just people are not aware of yet. The And it bubbles up to the surface with like, you know, Russia's involved in our elections or whatever. You know, these sound bites come out about how, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter have these great convening and guiding uh, powers now. Um, and I think there are some people who understand the implications of this and are using these tools to a, to a very effective degree. And, and um, I think 10, 15 mm-hmm. years from now is going to be really fascinating to, to look back on this period and have it. And I don't know, you know, maybe like in the 1920s, there will be some sort of reform and, you know, you won't be able just to pay people to vote for you. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, there will be maybe there will be some sort of digital reform where we'll start to figure out how to get this power um, in a way that's more of a, you know, even playing field because uh, we are not there. <laughs> no, we're definitely not there. And that's that's, I think, the beauty of what the Internet and information is bringing to the table is. um what is actually going on in the world. And I think we're kind of in this awareness phase where we are just starting to find out how, how things work. So it's like, you know, it's people are kind of like acting like it's, it's getting worse, but I think we're just really starting to understand the factors more and more as, you know, as we learn more about it, it's like, Oh, okay. This is really what healthcare is turning into. You know, it's turning into, is this necessary? Ah, let's just do it. You know, it's like, there's just a lot of things that you learn about that you may not have questioned, you know, 10 years ago, because we just didn't have the information. So that's the beauty of information. And when, you know, like we are big fans of the, the Rogan podcast, because he has some pretty good people on that give you a different side of the story where you can see, like, there is that example on the China, the Wuhan facility with the virus and some pretty compelling points which that doesn't fit a narrative either way so i i think that you know it's those types of things that we're starting to get used to and we're very early on into this informational age very early on yeah and that podcast to check out is josh rogan r-o-g-i-n uh with joe rogan uh fascinating story about china definitely recommend a listen um but um in getting back to the the point about masculinity one thing about joe rogan is i think that he kind of represents that void that a lot of people have been experiencing i think his meteoric rise to success has been because he embodies so much masculinity i mean he just is you know the fighting thing mma the, fighting yeah the the comedy comedy, comedy. Kind of brash comedy 
yep, the, uh, you know, even his questions, his just general curiosity on his show with his guests, I think is um, a very, uh, I, I think that's why, you know, one of the factors that has contributed to his just massive success is kind of right time, right, um, right, energetic, equal and opposite reaction. You know, there's a void filled um, and then he becomes, you know, this, this massive, massive success. Which is hilarious to see Anthony Fauci responding to Joe Rogan. It's remarkable. Isn't that amazing that Fauci actually, you know, that he, and then Rogan commented back to Fauci clarify. It's like, so he's in the conversation. I mean, it, that's a, to me, it's a clear sign of the power or the influence, I guess is a better word that he has. Yeah. And, and Joe used to be a pool hall hustler. (laughs) I mean, he was doing comedy gigs and he would be a guy in the pool hall hustling people. And now he's having a conversation with arguably the most, um, you know, senior official in the health administration of our government. <laughs> it is crazy. During a time when he's, you know, when Fauci is probably the, the most, I don't want to say important person, but the most he's got a lot of responsibility right now. Huge, huge amounts of responsibility. And then when you find out about the uh, uh, the research programs that the coronavirus <laughs> research programs that he is promoting or he has promoted in the past uh, in that Josh Rogan episode, it'll blow your mind. I mean, it's uh, it it's blows just, your mind. It's just not something. Yeah, you and I. It's, it's something that you and I like, even listening to it. I was just so blown away that it's really hard to even quote it today without misrepresenting the facts or you know because it's such a sensitive topic as part of the other thing but it's just worth a listen you know i would just encourage people to even watch one of the clips of it um just very revealing so and that's the type of investigative journalism that i think is important that has been missing that we talked about is that type of true research questioning asking the hard questions multiple times until you get the, you know, to multiple people, then getting the right answer. That's the kind of type of journalism that I, I want more of. Yeah. And, um, also explains the meteoric rise of podcasts, long form conversation, um, which, you know, we are obviously fans of it's, uh, I wonder how much radio has been destroyed because of people not driving into work. Uh, and I know that podcast listenership has been down because people aren't driving into work, but <clears throat> it's I, actually been up. I read a topic. Oh, it's up. Interesting. Like 60% up. It's been up big to, I'll send it to you, but it's, it's a huge increase in listens like massive. The, wow. They said everybody thought it was going to go down because of the driving time, but no, like people are not consuming the news nearly as much as they used to, you know, and they're working from home and listening to it in the afternoon, you know, so there's just like, there is some downtime or like they're going on walks and listening to them. I thought for sure it was the other way around where people were dropping off, but it's actually up. 
I got to go back and look at the rumpus room listens to see how we're doing. But, um, yeah, I think this is a, I don't know. It would probably explain our meteoric rise as well as of recent. Yep. Meteoric is the term that I would use. (laughs) (laughs) And you can be a part of that, uh, that skyrocket, that rocket ship, the, uh, jump on the ship. uh... We're taking, we're taking, uh, we're sending out tickets. They're pretty cheap. Yeah, the price of admission is low to get on this rocket ship. <laughs> uh, but it's growing slowly. It's that exp- we call that the hockey stick growth. Yeah, we're very much more of the exponential growth. Uh, we're in the uh, we're in the investment phase. We're building our mm-hmm. base. You know, we're establishing processes. Uh, we're MVP. throwing out the hockey stick. Yeah, we're throwing out the hockey stick graph to the appropriate investors to build support. Uh, show them that they're uh, there are money. There are 150 million men in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we believe that we are going to compete with the Joe Rogan podcast. 40% of them listen to podcasts. 40% of them listen to podcasts. That is the market. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's so crazy. Yeah. Uh, Have you ever seen a startup 70 pitch? 70 million listeners by year four. <laughs> I'll tell you what, my, when I, so I, I've gone through a few of those meetings and the one, you know, so we were, we successfully got some money from, from everybody else. And it wasn't that, that graph that showed hockey stick growth that got people to invest. They kind of laughed at it, to be honest. So (laughs) if if you're spending all this time on the business plan, that's not what, uh, that's not what gets the the money and in my, you know, some that's definitely different, but that was early on, but it's pretty funny. The, yep. the rumpus room podcast, I think it's one uh, thing it's growing. So what were you going to say? Yeah. Uh, I was chatting with this gentleman from um, Dallas and he uh, was a big supporter of, I believe it. I can't remember if it was Peter Thiel or Steve blank. Uh, and I could, or Mr. Blank, I don't remember what his name is. I think it's Steve Blank. Arthur but, Blank. Uh, Arthur Blank. Uh, Zero to One. You've probably heard of that book. It's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and the yeah, whole premise is basically okay. that uh, you shouldn't do anything unless you're going to try to be the thing that it does, um, which I think is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty uh, interesting thinking as far as like, you know, if you're going to do a podcast, you should try and be the podcast that every person listens to. And I, I like that thinking with a, uh, with a company because um, it doesn't make any sense to do something if you're not willing to invest to be the number, to be the Google, you know, to all be the, the yeah. one thing yeah, that, go all takes, in. Yeah, that takes the majority of the market share for that particular, for solving that problem. And I, I like that all in type of thinking because, um, it just, I think it makes people, I think it begs the question about how much effort are you really w- willing to put into this thing? Uh, because be getting to that level of being the one that has the majority of the market share, uh, I think you have to just be honest with yourself about the amount of effort that that's going to take. Yeah, it, uh, that's definitely something it's, it's a lot of work to get to that level and to commit to that is 
a whole other level of it's just a different level of work commitment you know just giving things up in your life so i yeah i think it's good to put into perspective what it really takes to get there that's a good book i would recommend people reading it too that's a really good book especially if you're around the startup world uh it's really interesting peter teo is a he's a fascinating figure that's for sure Yeah, so uh, one day we'll be competing with the Joe Rogan podcast for the number one listens for young men, uh, or uh, uh, maybe not young men, but uh, uh, young male men um, in -hmm. our target market. So you can be a part of that rocket ship, everybody. So uh, check out Rumpus Room Podcast, share it with your friends, and uh, we'll be back here next week kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.